Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tavisolo Hoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sour. ANC veteran Paolo Jordan says that the visit of the ANC delegation to Zimbabwe recently should be seen as good neighborliness. The International Labour Organization calls on governments around the world to act urgently to overcome the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic on employment. And in economics news, the Eswatini Revenue Authority issues strict instructions to the effect that it is no longer permissible for large and medium taxpayers to submit physical pay-as-you-earn reconciliations. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. The World Health Organization says South Africa has recorded an increase of 6% in cases in the past seven days, despite there being a 2% decrease in the number of infections on the African continent. This as the country records a further 1,861 new cases, bringing the cumulative number of infections to 667,049. Meanwhile, 77 more COVID-19 deaths were registered, bringing the death toll to 16,283. In the organization's COVID-19 report, looking at the African region, over 29,000 new cases and 760 new deaths were registered from 45 countries between the 16th and the 22nd of September. Zoleka Kodashe reports. According to the World Health Organization, South Africa is one of 16 countries in Africa to have recorded an increase in cases despite daily data showing lower numbers. In a report on the continent's latest COVID-19 developments, Niger recorded the highest increase of 350%, while South Africa is one of the lowest with 6.1%. 29 countries recorded a decrease in new cases, with 20 of them registering a decline of more than 20%. Overall, the continent has seen a 2% and 17% decrease in incidence cases and deaths respectively. Zimbabwean Professor Ibo Mandaza has emphasized the need for South Africa to safeguard democracy, the independence of institutions, and to ensure that the military conforms to the constitution. Mandaza was speaking at the ANC's Oartambo Political School on the lessons that South Africa can learn from Zimbabwe's post-colonial history. Mandaza outlined the status quo in his country. In Zimbabwe, sadly, 
the executive is unaccountable. As, as things stand now, the military pervades the executive itself. The legislature is not vibrant at all. It's largely an outcome of the rigged elections. Since 2000, it's become a major feature in which the military has been involved in all the disputed elections ever since 2000. You have a judiciary, which is hardly independent, when it should be actually the soul of the nation. It's a captured judiciary. The commissions, the, commission, the gender commissions, the, the Peace and Reconciliation Commission, all of these are pervaded by the military. We have a mess in effect. Cameroon's main opposition party has accepted a challenge to debate with the ruling RDPC-CPDM live on television. It comes days after it organized anti-government protests in several towns and cities that were met with a crackdown. The opposition MRC-CRM's leader Maurice Kamtu is still under house arrest following Tuesday's protests. The main opposition party says 593 people were arrested as a result of the protests. One person was killed and others were wounded come to call for protests to force President uh, Paul Beer out of office. The youth climate movement is encouraging people to join the sixth global climate strike today. In South Africa, protests will include marches in Cape Town in the Western Cape Province at the Madupi Coal Power Station and from the union buildings to the energy department in the capital, Pretoria. Michelle Maka is the ambassador of the African Climate Alliance. We wanted something that looked more central, that had more people who could participate. But we also understand that we have limitations with people who cannot be at the physical strikes. So we've also organized for a digital strike so that more people can have their voices heard. You can record yourself calling for justice and saying this is what the story is and this is how we need to move on. Or you can take a picture with a hashtag and you just say your views on there saying today I'm striking for such and such because it's the global day of climate action. The U.S. government has executed convicted murderer Christopher Valva after he and members of a gang in Texas killed Christian youth ministers Todd and Stacey Bagley 20 years ago. The American Civil Liberties Union says that Valva, who was 19 when he committed the murders, was unfairfully tried as an adult. The 40-year-old had requested the U.S. Supreme Court for a stay, which was denied. It was the seventh federal execution this year after the practice was resumed by President Donald Trump's administration. And in sports news, the South African Premier Soccer League has secured a new sponsor to replace APSA. DSTV is the new sponsor of South Africa's Professional Football League for the next five years. The league will now be known as the DSTV Premiership. The new sponsorship will start from October after the 13-year-old partnership with APSA ended earlier this month. The new sponsor was announced by the PSL chairman of an in Johannesburg last night. The Prima Football content creator, the PSL, has joined forces with the Prima content platform, DSTV, to announce over and above the special dedicated PSL channel 202 on DSTV that DSTV is now the official sponsor of the PSL. This competition will be referred to as DSTV Premiership. It's a synergy that is powerful in what it brings for the supporters as the PSL continues innovate with a quest to improve its products. It will have a full backing of DSTV, whose offering requires an abundance of local content. There is no them and us. We are joined at the hip to produce enhanced consumption of the best products for deserving supporters. 
And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne. It's 7.07 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. ANC veteran Paolo Jordan says that the visit of the ANC delegation to Zimbabwe recently should be seen as good neighborliness. Speaking at the ANC or Tambo Political School, Jordan says one of the lessons that should be learned by the two countries post-democracy is that there are certain matters that should be treated as regional rather than national ones. The discussions became quite heated when fellow panelists Ibo Mandaza and ANC NEC member Lindue Zulu entered the fray. Busi Chumombe reports. ANC veteran Paulo Jordan says that what the ANC delegation, which visited Zimbabwe recently, was practicing was good neighborliness in his presentation to the ANC's political school. You don't have to be asked to help when your neighbor's house is on fire. Your neighbor might well say, no, 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 I can handle this. Uh, no need for you to come and help me. But the neighbor should never interpret the offer to help as an attempt to interfere. And I think, unfortunately, that is the spirit in which uh, the comrades in Zimbabwe have received interventions on the part of the ANC. The ANC delegation came to Zimbabwe was not to interfere in Zimbabwe affairs, but as a good neighbor seeing the house on fire. ANC NEC member Lindiwe Zulu, who formed part of that delegation and who attended the discussion, spoke glowingly about what the meeting between the ANC and ZANU-PF had achieved. We had one of the best meetings, very open, very frank. We came out with decisions of how we're going to take the process forward. And as the African National Congress, we are sticking to the decisions of that meeting. We will go ahead and implement decisions of the meeting, which was agreed upon by both the African National Congress and ZANU-PF. Fellow panelist, Zimbabwean professor Ibo Mandaza, however, was scathing in his response, saying liberation movements in the region need to be more honest with each other or simply call it a day. South Africa should take the leadership, such as Nigeria has demonstrated with ECOWAS, to face realities and challenges as they are. This habit of deferring to so-called solidarity among liberation movements Not only is it irrelevant, please, it is outdated, it's obsolete. The liberation of movements, they either have to reform or pack up as as forces which have served their purpose and have failed entirely in the post-liberation situation. That report by Busi Chimombe. To the United States now, where two police officers were shot and wounded overnight during protests that erupted in Louisville, Kentucky, in the aftermath of a decision not to charge police officers directly involved in the death of Breonna Taylor. A grand jury decision that was communicated by the Kentucky Attorney General found that the two officers who fired their weapons at Taylor, killing her this past March, were justified in their use of force because they had been fired on first 
arrest upon entering Taylor's apartment. A third officer is the only one to face three charges of wanton endangerment for firing shots into a neighboring apartment, endangering the lives of the occupants there. Show in Bryce Peace reports. Violent protests on the streets of Louisville, Kentucky after the decision not to charge the two white officers who killed Taylor when they entered her apartment during a narcotics investigation. Daniel Cameron is the Republican Attorney General of Kentucky and the first black person to hold that position. Evidence shows that officers both knocked and announced their presence at the apartment. The officer's statements about their announcement are corroborated by an independent witness who was near in a proximity to apartment four. In other words, the warrant was not served as a no-knock warrant. When officers were unable to get anyone to answer or open the door to apartment four, the decision was made to breach the door. It was then that Taylor's boyfriend, who maintains he didn't hear police announce themselves and thought they were intruders, fired the first shot from a licensed firearm, striking one of the officers in the leg. Under Kentucky law, the officers were then within their rights to return fire, hitting the unarmed Taylor six times, killing her. Boyfriend Kenneth Walker's version that police did not announce themselves is corroborated by other neighbors in the apartment complex who differ from a single independent witness who indicated that police did, in fact, announce themselves. I certainly understand the pain um, that has been uh, brought about by the uh, tragic loss of Ms. Taylor. I understand that as a attorney general who is responsible for all uh, 120 counties in terms of being the chief law, legal officer, the chief uh, law enforcement officer. I understand that. I understand that as a black man, how painful this is. Leading to largely peaceful protests in other cities, including New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and Philadelphia. Demonstrations seeking reforms of a system that holds no one accountable for the death of an innocent black woman. President Trump asked to weigh in, backed the Republican Kentucky Attorney General, who he said was doing a fantastic job. He's handling it very well. Uh, you know who he is, right? You, you, I think you know. I think everyone now knows who he is. Uh, I will be speaking to the governor, and uh, we have a... Uh, call scheduled to make very shortly with the governor. Uh, I understand he's called up the National Guard, which is a good thing. I think it's a very positive thing. And uh, it'll all work out. Rival Joe Biden acknowledged that the decision did not answer the call for justice, but also condemned all violent protests, which have become a flashpoint in the presidential race. My heart goes out to her mother. And I understand there's a protest they're starting or they're going to start or I just want to, pardon me? They're expected tonight. Well, they should be peaceful. Do not sully her memory or her mother's by engaging in any violence. It's totally inappropriate for that to happen. And she wouldn't want it, nor would her mother. So I hope they do that calmly. Despite the grand jury decision, a separate FBI investigation remains open into Taylor's killing. 
The Democratic governor of Kentucky, meanwhile, urged his state's attorney general to post online all the evidence that could be released without affecting the charges filed, as the gulf between public opinion and a criminal justice system that heavily favors police continues to grow. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, for Channel Africa in Kinshasa in the DRC, I'm Jean-Noël Bamweze. Stay informed on the latest developments about COVID-19. Visit the World Health Organization's website to get more information. It's 7.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's Audio Bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. The International Labour Organization has called on governments around the world to act urgently to overcome the devastating impact of a coronavirus pandemic on employment. In its latest assessment on the effects of the pandemic on the world of work, the ILO has found that there has been a massive drop in income for workers around the world. Mbongeni Mutua reports. According to the ILO, workplace closures have resulted in a big drop in labor income, especially in lower middle income countries. It estimates that a total of 3.5 trillion US dollars has been lost by the global workforce thus far. Workers in Latin America are the worst affected, with Africa doing better than expected. The Africa director of the ILO, Johnny Musabayana, explains. The prophets of doom that had anticipated that the COVID-19 would wreak incredible havoc on the Africans and African economies, and that we would probably literally have dead bodies in the streets everywhere, has not come to fruition. Africa has shown itself to be resilient. Africans have shown to be resilient in the face of this disease. While stringent lockdowns have been relaxed in many countries, 32% of the global workforce is in countries where there are still closures of all workplaces except essential services. Against this background, the ILO says support measures for jobs, businesses and incomes must be sustained. It has praised South Africa's UIF Terrace Benefit Scheme as a good example of what is required. UIF is really a, a, an example of how many other African countries can ameliorate the impact of, of, of the crisis such as impact 
uh, such as COVID on workers. And in this regard, the disbursements by UIF to more than 9 million workers have definitely managed to limit the impact of COVID on what would have otherwise been a catastrophic scale. The ILO has called on world governments to come up with a global economic recovery plan as a matter of agency. I am Bongene Mutua in Johannesburg. The South African attorney Roy Gluckman has been at the forefront of young voices tackling the dialogue of equality, diversity and inclusion during lockdown. Recently hosted a free virtual webinar titled, What Does It Mean to Be Human? In this thought-provoking webinar, Gluckman exposes in becoming better humans when we don't really know what being human means. The webinar critiques the definition of humanity as not animals and or not machines and provides a framework upon which we are able to reflect on what it means to be human. Roy joins us on the line to discuss this further. Roy, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and shine. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, Roy, why did you feel the need to host this thought-provoking webinar? Mm, mm. This webinar is, is very tongue-in-cheek. Um, you know, every, everyone's always talking about, even particularly now during COVID, you know, we need to bring in more humanity. We need more humanity, more humanity. And I was just kind of like, do we have a shared understanding of what humanity is? You know, even work around inclusion in the workplace. You know, we need to bring in more humanity. And I'm just not 100% sure we're all working from the same playbook. So, so this is really just a bit of a, an opportunity for us to pause and to reflect and say, well, what humanity, whose humanity, what humanity are we talking about? And really just, uh, like I said, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek way of looking at it, this, this almost need for hum- humans to be exceptional, you know, other, different, dominant is really... Uh, some of the stuff that we discussed in the webinar. And what was the reaction like? Look, I mean, I, I, it, was, it was quite a, a deep process and a very deep conversation. You know, I think when, we, when I was talking about, you know, human beings as not being animals, it was really um, a critique of humanity's ability to forget about the past. To, to dissolve the past, you know, and animals don't have that ability. And it, it was kind of playing on the idea that what makes us human is clearly our ability to just say, oh, you know, that was hectic, let's not look at that. And for me, the critique was that is the worst part about humanity, that we can kind of look at our past, particularly in South Africa, and 25, 26 years on Heritage Day, we can say, oh, it's time to get over it. Um, and, and for me, it was really a critique on that and saying, actually, what should make us the most human is a reconnection to the past, is never forgetting the past, is constantly keeping it with us, rather than our need to try and move on, you know, without kind of thinking about the history of racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, and all of that. So, I mean, it was, it was quite a deep conversation. And, and I think people are wanting to have these conversations more and more. But there is clearly also an exhaustion around it, given everything that seems to be happening in our public discourse. Now, the, the question of what does it mean to be human was among the topics that you unpacked. Um, take us through the other topics that uh, were also discussed. Sure. Um, I guess, you know, in, in, in setting up that binary of, uh, you know, human beings are not animals, but we're also not machines. 
So I was kind of looking at this idea of, you know, what separates humans from machines? And uh, the overwhelming reaction is, you know, when uh, humanity is not coded, you know, human, uh, machines, we code, we tell them what to do. And again, kind of coming into that critique and saying that human beings, we, you and me, are deeply coded. You know, we've been coded for centuries to believe and to feel and to understand that some people are better than or worse than based on the color of their skin, their gender, that some people can be in leadership roles and some people can't, that some people are sinners and some people are not. That's social coding, right? And it was really just saying that society has coded each and every one of us. It's in our bodies, what our bodies represent, our skin color, our hair, everything about it. And kind of brought in some of the... This, the, the, the clicks, Tresemme stuff, which happened here in South Africa as well, you know, looking at this idea of coding and what these things mean and who is normal. So we kind of looked at that critique. And, and really it was just to challenge the viewers and challenge the attendees to understand that we as humanity are deeply coded and need to start reconnecting to our past in order for us to build this shared humanity. Because, you know, words like normal and organizational culture and humanity, uh, if we don't really define it, can be used to exclude because, you know, we think that we have a shared understanding and we just don't. Very thought-provoking, very challenging. Do you think you achieved what you hoped for when you hosted the webinar? You know, the, the, the entire um, reason for the webinar was not about takeouts and not about, like, you know, it was, you know, because there's so much noise, there's so many webinars happening. I was like, everyone just show up, sit back, and just think. So I do think that people got to thinking, you know, it wasn't about, you know, go do more to be better. You know, it's like, just pause. Just think critically about something. Just ask a different question. And I think we managed to achieve that. So, yeah, pretty happy with it. I like that. There's so much noise and that is so Mm. true. Just to take time, Mm. even when you're driving, just to... No radio, nothing on. Don't answer your phone. Put it on silent and literally just be. Just be, you know. No expectation, no right or wrong answers, no good marks, nothing. Just listen and think. Well, Roy, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, thank you for, for putting it out there. You know, um, as, as you say, sometimes we, we, we ourselves don't really understand what, uh, what it really means to be human. Mm-hmm. Well, have a great day, Roy. Wonderful. Thank you for the call. That's uh, Roy Gluckman, a qualif- well, an attorney and director at Cohesion Collective, an equality, diversity and inclusions consulting firm joining us on the line. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation 
that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. Are you ready? Something new, informative, fun and exciting is coming your way. Channel Africa is introducing brand new shows and you, our valued listener, do not want to miss these. Live Well will be launched on the 31st of August at 10 hours and will educate us about health, wellness and health lifestyles. African Insight to be launched on the 2nd of September at 8 hours. It looks at infrastructure projects in Africa in an effort to improve the continent's economy. Yours truly, to be launched on the 31st of August, broadcast on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday between 22 hours and 23 hours. And it will connect listeners to the loved ones through dedications, well wishes, topped up with great African music. Cuisines Africa will be launched on the 5th of September at 10 hours and will leave you salivating as we explore diverse African dishes, color of culture and rich history. Tune in to www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV 802 for these new exciting editions. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. I'm Anne Musa. Good morning. The World Health Organization says South Africa has recorded an increase of 6% in cases in the past seven days, despite there being a 2% decrease in the number of infections on the African continent. The United States says it will provide more than 720 million US dollars in humanitarian assistance in response to the crisis in Syria, nearly $152 million for Africa's Sahel region and almost $108 million for South Sudan. And the United States has blacklisted several Iranian officials and entities over alleged violations of human rights. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, and It is 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The rate of malnutrition is set to be increasing in South Africa while the country begins to enjoy the benefits of a let level one of the nationwide lockdown. According to a local charity, Operation Hunger, vulnerable people in society have resorted to desperate measures to survive. For more on the realities 
refugees faced in South African homes. We are now joined on the line by Chief Executive Officer at Operation Hunger, Sandy Bukula. Sandy, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lily, and thank you for having me. Now, talk us through the malnutrition crisis in the country. What kind of, you know, picture does it paint? Um, definitely, Lulu. I mean, I think the the gains that we have made have been reversed during this COVID-19, of course, um, towards malnutrition in the continent as a whole, in fact. Um, you know, the findings of the 2020 Global Nutrition Report um, make it clear and say that um, South Africa would achieve only two out of 10 global nutrition targets set for 2025. And this basically is an analysis that was done during, um, you know, for this, this June 2020 during this COVID-19 pand- pandemic. Now, what are some of the coping mechanisms witnessed on the ground? Um, you know, some families are really, really desperate. I mean, other people are resorting, of course, to, um, you know, to just eating staple foods um, that are not completely, um, that don't completely have nutritional value. Other people also have basically, we have uh, heard reports that other people have resorted to eating livestock, like um, basically dogs, pets and all of that. So it's actually really, um, it's really scary. <laughs> We've heard that, and it is very mm. scary. And you know, when when with such situations, how mm. uh, very concerning. But how yes. do we, um, you know, uh, work around them? And how do how do people assist? You know, in terms of uh, you know ensuring that at least their neighbours have something to eat. Well, I mean, and it's it's so funny because um, yesterday we were just discussing that we were reminding Heritage Day in South Africa um, in this aspect, and you know, Heritage. Day meant Ubuntu back in the day, and Ubuntu was really just checking on your neighbor to see if whether everything is fine. And I think if we go back to that beautiful part of ourselves as a country, um, to remember each other, you know, when we've got something on the table, and I think to use organizations such as ourselves, because we already have got um, a feeding campaigns and programs that assist you know, in a much more bigger scale, um, communities and vulnerable communities on, you know, putting food on the table. So if people can actually utilize us more, I think that would also be very much um, helpful for the vulnerable families. But I think also um, this has highlighted quite a lot um, in terms of, uh, you know, our food system and our health system as a continent as such. So I think we have a lot more to do in terms of um, bridging those gaps, you know, in that aspect. Now, Sandy, do you think that uh, the further opening of the economy as mm-hmm. we've moved to level one um, mm-hmm. uh, won't have much of an impact to the hunger challenges? Do you think that, uh, you know, there could be uh, some sort of improvement going forward? Absolutely. It's going to be very, very small. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a context of our own organization. So um, on a yearly basis, on annually, we look after 2.4 million um, beneficiaries. And what we've seen apparent during the COVID-19 um, is that we've had a new face and a new landscape of actually people that were hunger you know, um, is striking and people that have lost jobs. And, you know, with the set of 30.1% of people that are currently at the moment sitting without jobs. So you would have to think, we've looked at, we've had to feed about 18,000 new families 
Um, and those are completely new entrances. So it's people that before were able to look after themselves, were able to self-sustain themselves. And now, um, due to this pandemic, you know, um, they have had to basically completely be in disparity. So if you're thinking about integrating such a huge number to being completely, being self-sufficient, it's going to take more than just having the economy open, but it's going to require quite very diverse, um, innovative and ways to integrate these people in order for them to be able to actually be able to provide for themselves and be self-sustainable. So it's going to take quite a lot than just having the economy open. And I think it's going to take quite a bit of, um, you know, resilience from, you know, corporate South Africa, um, you know, uh, the, the civil society as a whole, as well as basically government. And I think it's going to need quite a different approach in terms of how we actually address our issues in the country, because this is not a new thing, Lulu. I think, you know, this because I mean, um, malnutrition really comes from, um, you know, like it comes from the poverty cycle that we haven't addressed as a country, as a continent. You know, I mean, we've got in Africa per se, we've got um, countries that have got become independent, you know, but after the independence, I mean, you know, like those issues were still open gaps because we are still using, you know, systems that don't actually look into, you know, the civil society and that don't address and solve the local problems. So I think, you know, it's going to take more than just, um, you know, opening markets. <laughs> now, 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 Sandy, you know, in the early months of the lockdown after the COVID pandemic hit South Africa, for instance, there was uh, the spirit of uh, generosity with people really looking out for those uh, at risk of going to bed hungry, um, mm-hmm. you know, and is the spirit still there? What's the assessment lately? You know, uh, but then we used to see a daily reports in the media mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. regards to, you know, organizations uh, giving food to people in the streets. Uh, uh, you know, uh, to to people at homes, and what is it like now? Um, I will say that um, in terms of organisations, um, there's still that much um, drive. And in civil society as well, we've seen quite a drastic interest, especially from the young youth. I mean, we did like a, a small survey to just look at people that were interested in volunteering, either money or food or skills and all of that um, to just make, obviously, the world better. And what we've seen, um, the, a huge interest coming from the youth, especially um, women, you know, with about 60% of the inquiries that we've received, um, people who want to actually volunteer. So there has been quite a huge, um, you know, interest in people to take actions and assist. But I think what is uh, very difficult for people is to sustain that sort of um, interest for the next three months because you have to remember that the very same people that we are talking about are the people that are actually, um, you know, also... Affected by the disruptions, you know, in the domestic food supply, you know, other shocks um, affecting food um, food production and the loss of income, you know, and the remittances by the small businesses. So those people are also are sitting at the moment with quite a strong tension because the result of the COVID nineteen also has affected their pockets deeply. You know, others have affected their daily lives deeply. So you know, there has been quite a there was a, a huge interest, but that is slowly. You know, <laughs> that is slowly, um, we are losing a little bit of that action. And that is not per se to say people, um, you know, aren't willing to assist. But I think it's basically having the means to assist is basically the challenge at the moment. You touched on what your organization does, Operation mm. Hunger, earlier. Mm, mm, and, mm. Uh, you know, just to highlight some of, uh, you know, the activities that you, you do as an mm. organization in assisting mm. or easing the plight 
of families that are severely affected by COVID? Mm. Um, so what we had done prior, um, because our strategy um, and basically our strategy in terms of implementation operations had to change, you know, in order for us to fight against also the COVID-19. And uh, one of the biggest um, er- area focuses that we've had overall is to make sure that people are dependent on us, that we mu- whenever we go to any type of community, that we integrate those communities, we find out what skills are there, and we carefully use that and basically maximize that for those specific homes and places, uh, I mean, families and communities to, um, to be self-sustainable and self-reliant. And um, over the past few months, we have been basically looking at strategies and integrating. However, because the demand for the help has increased drastically, which has obviously affected our financial, so we would welcome any type, you know, of assistance as possible. But otherwise, you know, we're still continuing with our, with our programs in terms of, you know, empowering skills, empowering po- communities to being able to being self-sustainable and obviously addressing the immediate aid by providing um, immediate relief at the moment because, you know, um, you can't help people to integrate to be sustainable while they're hungry. So we're still continuing with all those merits of different programs that assist basically communities in different levels and basically graduating them and and hopefully, um, you know, getting them to be self-sustainable um, at the end. Now, what steps should be taken to, to mm-hmm. ensure that malnutrition does not worsen in, in South Africa? I think we can, um, you know, all agree Um that basically, um, you know, nutrition is an essential defense strategy to protect populations against any type of pandemics. So, and to release, um, you know, the burden on the health system. So I think it's, it's very clear that tackling malnutrition should be at the center of our global and our continental as well as our country's um, health response at the moment. Because, you know, I mean, otherwise we will never be able to fight any of our issues because I think it's part of, you know, like just the main basic development as well. So I think what uh, really is apparent is that, you know, um, as a country, any type of resources that we currently have is that we utilize them correctly and we use them and we make sure that they reach to the people that are required. And I think that that on its own and just our behavior on its own would be quite a huge difference because, for example, instead of people like in just in general for civil society, if there's an opportunity for people to receive food and if you know that you can put food for your, for, your, for your family, then don't be those kind of people that are going to go into the specific services and list your name and register. Allow for other, for the people really in need to receive those, um, you know, like to receive those services. So it's, you know, it's a behavioral aspect, you know, it's how we deal with each other and how we see each other. And I think, you know, um, for the longest run, we've always um, talked about um, Africa as a whole as such a beautiful um, a place and had, having been beautiful. And I think in the South African context, we all remember ourselves, you know, prior to 1994, working together towards, you know, uh, a specific goal. And I think, you know, we still have that in us, you know, those beautiful parts of ourselves of caring for each other, you know, of loving each other and then thinking about our neighbors, you know, in such a way that it's gifting, it's behavioral, um, you know, it's basically action-wise. So I think basically, even if you think you can't do much, Lulu, um, there's something that you can do. And basically just purely by, you know, acting um, honestly, 
you know, you will be helping out a lot. <laughs> well, Sandy, thank you so much for the work that you do. And it's out there. Um, yes. are people, How do people get a hold of you? Do you have a website that you put out, can put out there, your social media contacts and everything? Um, absolutely. So we would like to invite everybody to um, basically follow us. Um, you can go on our website on www.operationhunger.org.za and you can contact us on 011-543-0941 or you can look at us at all social media platforms and it's just at Operation Hunger ZA. So from any social media platform, you know, you will find us there. Well, Sandy, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Lulu, for your time. And thank you to the listeners. Thank you. And that's Sandy Bakula, Chief Executive Officer at Operation Hunger, a South African development, nutrition and relief-focused charity, joining us on the line. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. It's 7.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Reggae music continues to unite people while highlighting issues of injustice, resistance, love and humanity. This is why the United Nations Cultural and Scientific Agency, UNESCO, added reggae music to its list of global cultural treasures two years ago. The South African reggae community says the music is a heritage they will continue to nurture with pride. Pearl Makubane filed this report. Reggae originated in Jamaica in the late 1960s, blending the country's ska and rock steady genres with blues and jazz. The songs often addressed the socio-political issues of the time, while others spoke about love and unity. Singer and songwriter Dawit Manelik Tafari says reggae is not just about music, but a rich heritage and tradition he holds with pride. Growing up in Jamaica, we always listen to reggae music. We're surrounded by reggae music. Yeah, reggae music for us is a way of life. It's important for one to know their own heritage and their own history. UN acknowledging is beautiful, but the significant thing is for you to know your heritage, your history, and what your culture means to you. This is the music is about freedom and spiritual upliftment. 
and also played a significant role during the SA apartheid era. Reggae music is the freedom music of the whole world. We see it's very popular in South Africa due to what the role it played in the struggle and we hope it continue to play a role in the freedom of the people of South Africa. Lufuno Munjalele is a writer, singer and guitarist who hails from Venda in Limpopo. He says reggae music inspired his creativity and writing. Because reggae is big, worldwide, it has inspired a lot of people, it continues to do so. It has changed a lot of systems that uh, binds and oppress the people. So this gives us more power to go forward to show that no people see what we are doing, they hear what we are saying. So let's continue to give people reggae that inspires People are listening, people are waiting to listen. Let's give people the message. For Bongo Riot, reggae music was the escape he needed during the volatile period in the 90s. Yeah, I fell in love with reggae music during the 90s in the street of Kotema in Tiplevel, you know. There was too much violence back then, too much killing, stealing, raping, shooting and looting. So most of the time we were indoors sitting with the Rasta man, you know, listening to reggae dancehall music, you know. Bongo Riot says, although he welcomes the heritage status, it still doesn't translate to more airplay or economic revenue. But still, we in Africa, we're not benefiting from this heritage status by United Nations, you know. Our tunes are still not getting enough airplay, eh? so this means we are not making enough returns as a business. Eh? So yeah, it's a very good thing which United Nations gave us this status. But I can't say I'm enjoying this status or the benefits of oh. Yeah, the young people can learn a lot from reggae music, you know. You'll understand that uh, reggae music, it's all about freedom, you know. Freeing yourself from mental slavery, you know. Reggae cultural activist, advocate Sipo Mandula, says reggae music has a major role in nation building and social cohesion. He also says it's an intangible cultural heritage. Reggae music is a soulful music in the continent. When the United Nations Cultural and Scientific Agency, when they declared that reggae music has contributed to the global discourse on issues of injustices and resistance in the world. So it was important for the uh, global community to understand that the, the uh, message and the music, the rich music tradition, it is what one can say it is listed as the intangible cultural heritage. Reggae unites the people. It talks to their spirit, to their heart. He hopes the music and heritage will continue to unite people across race and nations throughout the years. Pilma Kubane, Johannesburg.
It's 7.50 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabi Soluhuku. A very good morning. The International Labour Organization, ILO, has called on governments around the world to act urgently to overcome the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic on employment. In its latest assessment of the effects of the pandemic on the world of work, the ILO has found that there's been a massive drop in income for workers around the world. reports. While stringent lockdowns have been relaxed in many countries, 32% of the global workforce is in countries where there are still closures of all workplaces except essential services. Against this background, the ILO says support measures for jobs, businesses and incomes must be sustained. It has praised South Africa's UIF Terrace Benefit Scheme as a good example of what is required. Tanzania and Rwanda have committed to address trade barriers in order to strengthen bilateral and economic ties that would ultimately enhance business and competitiveness. According to the United Nations, a calm trade database on international trade, the two East African nations have been for many years having great trade relations with that accelerated investments between the two countries. However, despite the challenges, the records show that Rwanda imports from Tanzania were 224.54 million US dollars, while Rwanda exports to Tanzania were 5.1 million dollars last year. Rwanda is banking on citizens' repatriation and business travellers when the airline finally resumes most of its flights on the 1st of October. The national carrier will also capitalise on its existing network and stable routes as it seeks to salvage the remaining part of the year since tourism remains unreliable. Some of the flights that will resume on the 1st of October include the Kigali Antebe, Kigali Brussels and Kigali to London, Johannesburg, Lagos and Accra. ProFlight Zambia will launch flights between Lusaka and Johannesburg on the 1st of October as air traffic increases following the planned reopening of borders in South Africa. Prior to this development, a ProFlight was servicing the Durban route. COVID-19, which has affected all sectors, including aviation, resulted in the closure of most international airports and suspension of some passenger flights to various destinations. Russian Zimbabwean platinum venture Great Dark Investments has cleared an important hurdle to develop what it would be as the African nation's largest platinum mine. GDE, or rather GDI, 50% owned by Russia's VI holding and Zimbabwean investors, says... The African Export-Import Bank had completed a due diligence study following it to proceed with the 500 million US dollar funding program for the Dowendale project's first phase. Zimbabwe, dealing with its worst economic crisis in more than a decade, is pursuing an ambitious plan to boost mining output and earn the country 12 billion US dollars a year. 
The US dollar is trading at a 383.99 Nigerian Naira, 11.41 Botswana Pula, 107.49 Kenyan Shilling, and 19.95 for Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil, 1 US dollar costs 5 rubles 56, Russia, 77 rubles 4, India, 73 rupees 74, China, 6 yuan 82, and South Africa, 17 rand 3. The US dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound and 85 cents to euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,865 and platinum $851 pounds. Brent crude oil $42.26 a barrel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And that wraps up Africa, rise and shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Wiseman Mangale, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Channel Africa One. You can also WhatsApp on plus 277-6300-3327. I'll take notes to the top of the hour for the news is Fetch Your Life by Prince KB featuring Msaki. Have a great weekend and keep safe. Sways in parabola motion